Welcome to another episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax, and you picked a great time to be here. But how'd you find us? Did you find us on social media? Fantastic. How about on Syracuse.com itself? Really appreciate that. But the best way to ensure you're getting the very latest on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, iTunes, and Google Play. Just subscribe. Find Syracuse Sports in iTunes, Google Play, hit the button, and then you don't have to worry about it. When a new episode pops up, you'll see it right there on your phone. A new episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast is available. So however you're listening today, we're on SoundCloud as well. Coming soon on Spotify, by the way, for those of you that prefer to listen to your podcast there. We are so pleased you're here, and what a treat we have for you today. Most of you remember Mike Powell as one of the great Syracuse lacrosse players of all time, right? Well, if you haven't been keeping track of Mike lately, he's a recording artist and a darn good one. Mike's new album drops Friday, October 5th. It's called Shelter Without Walls, and you can get it on all the music services, Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, wherever you prefer, mikepowell.co. It's not .com. It's mikepowell.co is where you can get all the information on not only his new album, but the tour dates that will follow. He's got a very busy October coming. He's going to be all over the state, including October 13th and 14th. He's going to be recording a live album. He's already got a new album coming out, and then he's going to add to it with a live album. So all the details are in this conversation, and Mike and I really go deep on the making of Shelter Without Walls, how he went from a lacrosse player to a performance artist, what he puts into songwriting, what this means to him. And you'll hear Mike not only discuss the songs that he wrote, he's going to sing a couple songs for us as well. And they are amazing. So please, download Mike's album, Shelter Without Walls. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you find your music, MikePowell.co is a great way to you know, just go to the site and it'll direct you where to go to download his latest EP, and it is fantastic. So enough of me. Let's get into this, shall we? Deep Dive with Mike Powell. It's episode 44 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. So we're here with Mike Powell, you know, just an old lacrosse player playing some music, right? That's right. What's up, man? I'm just happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It's good I to appreciate see you. It. It's, you been a, it's been a while. It has been. Since we've been seen each other. Since we've hung out, by the way. That's right. You have got so much going on. This is incredible. I hope you're eating your Wheaties, man. Because October <laughs> is a very, very busy month for you. I, I can't believe we even got some time to chat here. So we're, we're chatting here on, on Thursday, Thursday, October 4th. October 5th is a big day for you. Sure. Tell me why that's a big day. Well, October 5th is... The release of my latest EP. I've never done an EP before, um, so this is my first time experimenting with that. And uh, it's called Shelter Without Walls, and, it, and it's releasing uh, on Friday. And it's just a collection of songs that are very lyric-heavy songs, um, and I just love telling stories. So it's going to be fun to be able to get those stories out to people and to see how they pick up on them it's a six song ep which we're going to go through and there's a couple songs on there that you've done and kind of remastered and written four songs and you have put every ounce of emotion and so many other things that i can list here into these songs it's incredible that you laid those down and they're there for us to listen to then you're going to go on this tour and you're going to you're going to play all these songs we're going to go over here in a minute but I'm curious about that process. Like when you write these songs and you pour so much emotion into it, when you're playing them again, does it just come through? Like how, how does that work when you're a musician and you have to, like you're reminded of why you, you wrote these songs. Maybe that, that helps the process. Yeah, right? that's, a, that's a really great question. And it, it, it's something, my, my confession here is that I hate recording. I hate recording music. It's just something that for me, it, with my experience recording, a lot of times you'll come in and you'll lay some drums and bass down. Um, then the guitar player comes in, he lays down his part. And by the end of it, you're left with this, uh, this piece of music that somehow seems disconnected from where it started. Um, so for me, recording music, I always try to do everything live. So that's, that was the case with this uh, EP. So uh, we went up into a studio. We have a studio space here in Armory Square. And uh, 
we just went in and I said, here's the songs, guys, let's just set up some microphones and play them. Um, because my favorite music is real music. And the music that's raw has mistakes in it. Um, you know, it's we're humans. We make mistakes. So you're telling me there's no auto tune on, on this album? <laughs> no, That's what you're telling no, me. No, oh, probably use it, but, <laughs> but uh, it, it really comes through. Like it's cool. just you and a guitar. There's a great song called uh, "Poison Diamond" where there's just this beautiful female voice that comes in that I want to ask you about. And I, I think a lot of people listening to this are like, "Wow, okay." So I remember Mike Powell, and I kind of know he's been playing some music. But when did you really go all in on this? When did you say this is something I really want to spend most of my time doing do the album go on these tours play these rooms like when did you do you remember the moment when you decided like i gotta do this i i do i do and uh it was when my daughter was born so she's three years old now and uh when she was born i had a a good job i was working with my brother ryan on powell lacrosse stuff and uh it was going really well but people always talk about providing for their children and at least from my experience when people mentioned that I never thought of that as a financial thing being a financial provider um, I wanted to be more of a, a leader and show her that I there's we're here for a very short time on this planet so fill your days with what you love to do and I want to provide that lesson for her so that's what started it and I was like you know what I love playing music I love writing songs. I love connecting with people. And, you know, with, with sports, at least my experience with it, you can only, there's only kind of two emotions you can hit uh, when you're an athlete that you can make the, the audience feel, and that's joy and disappointment. That's right. And uh, I wanted to be able to reach in deeper and kind of affect people in a different way. And... I came back from, I was living in Siesta Key, Florida for a while. And when we had our daughter, we moved back to Casanova. And uh, I was talking with my mother and I was like, Mom, I, I'm not sure what I want to do. I just know music, I want music to be a part of it. And I had a show that night and went and played the show. And uh, at the end of it, a, a woman came up to me and she was crying her eyes out. And uh, she just said, I just want you to know that you're, your song really affected me in a profound way, and thank you. And she gave me a hug, and she left. And my mom was there to witness it, and she said, Mike, I think you know your answer. I think uh, this music thing is the way you can affect people. And uh, it was from that moment on I said, you know what, if, if I'm going to do it, i got to figure out a way to, to make it work financially. But... Um, True passions just can't be ignored, you know. I just, I just love it. Love everything about it. You've got such a busy month coming up, but I, I would imagine when you're so into what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work, you know. It, it's yeah, just not at all. a lot of people say that when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Do you feel that way about what you're doing right now? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that, that's what's uh, having a father that worked forty years in a in a mill. Um, I always longed for something different than that lifestyle um, and not taking anything away from that, but that just wasn't me. It was uh, figuring out a way to make it feel like what you're talking about, where you wake up every day excited about uh, writing a new song or performing in, in some cool new room, uh, meeting new people, you know, that sort of thing. I hear you. My father owned a trucking company for a long time, and I used to go to work with him a lot. And one day he just kind of said to me, son, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to do this. He goes, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> right. right. Now, I, I was left without a choice there because he sold it before I had the okay. opportunity to get into it. But it's just, it's funny how life kind of guides you a certain sure. way, one way or the other. And God bless him for doing that. God bless your father for what, for what he did. And, and exactly. uh, there, there's a song you're going to play here that really hits that and, and hits what happened in your town when, when something happened. We'll get to that here momentarily though but you know there's a lot of lacrosse fans that are listening though like but wait what about that is there still a love for that like where is lacrosse in your life right now well i i just got back from my brother ryan's induction into the national hall of fame 
Congratulations uh, to him, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's an an amazing honor for him, and just very proud of him for that accomplishment. And now Casey and Ryan are both in the Hall of Fame, so they've been sending me some text messages, of course, uh, as brothers do. You'll you'll be there soon. Uh, I don't know, but but, uh, I I love lacrosse. I always have. Um, And... Growing up, I, I just remember some of my earliest memories of lacrosse are my favorite and my best. Um, and it was all in the backyard. And uh, the older I got and the more I played, I, and that's what's interesting about this music thing, is for 15 years, someone was telling me that I'm really good at something. You're really good at playing lacrosse. You're a great lacrosse player. And then when I decided to play music, people were like, you're terrible at playing music. And that was such an interesting shift, and I loved it. And, like, that's what drove it home, you know. Like, I'm sure you're the same way. When somebody tells you you can't do something, that makes you want to do it. Oh, 100 people say, I love you. I listen to you every day. That one person is like, your show sucks. It's like, hey, wait a minute, buddy. Exactly. Yeah, it drives exactly. you. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so uh, yeah, I, I still... Uh, I do camps occasionally for my brother Ryan, and uh, my brother Casey just moved to Chicago, and he's involved in lacrosse, and he runs the World Lacrosse Foundation. So I help help them both out uh, when they need it, but I don't watch a lot of lacrosse anymore. Um, I kind of hear little chirps of people talking about how the game is changing, and especially on the youth level, uh, the recruiting thing is kind of out of control, and. I just kind of shake my head, and for me, that that sport belongs as pure as possible. And so, when I hear stuff like that, it definitely bums me out um, that it may be losing its purity. But I, I don't think there's any game more sacred and and more uh, pure than lacrosse. I'm bummed that we didn't have the iPhones and everything that we did when you guys were kids in the backyard. I'm sure there's some grainy videotapes that you guys did with some old camcorders or something, but I've heard about these backyard sessions you guys had. They're pretty legendary, right? Oh, my God. It's like that story that the Dream Team, the best game the Dream Team ever played, the 1992 Dream Team, was a there was an in-squad scrimmage. I saw saw a story on that. There was a great story that Jack McCollum wrote about that, and there's no footage of it, but, you know, the stories that came out of that game are legendary. I would imagine no matter what... Casey, Ryan, you, or anybody's done on a field that I've seen, something that happened in that backyard tops it, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and <laughs> here's like a little funny story. I would wake up first before Casey and Ryan. They were a little bit older, so they were kind of in their early teen years, so they were sleeping a little longer than the, the young buck. But I would get up and I would go into the, the cabinet and I would get a bag of flour and I would go into the backyard and I would make the crease with the flower, I draw NCAA on the on our grass in the backyard because that's what the only games we saw back then were the Final Four games. They always had NCAA written. Uh, draw the end lines, and by the time I was tightening up the net, my brothers were coming out. And to to me, I I think there's something amazing that was happening in those backyards, not just because of uh, Casey and Ryan being there, but what people don't realize is Jason Kaufman was also in that backyard. Josh Kaufman was in that backyard. So the leading scorer in the history of NCAA lacrosse was in our backyard playing. You have two National Hall of Famers in Casey and Ryan that were in that backyard all at the same time. And there was something... There was something happening, must have been, it, with the style that we were playing. It was like such a free-form style where there's no rules, and the game was so new to that area that we didn't really know that throwing behind the backs and wraparounds were kind of showboaty. We thought that was like That's just how you, how play. you played. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there was, I, I definitely look back at those memories as the most special lacrosse memories for sure. So those are the lacrosse memories, but when you were at Syracuse, how much did you grab that guitar and play? How much was music a part of your life? I mean, I'm sure school and lacrosse and other things, you know, took up a lot of time, but were, were you playing when you were at SU? I was, I was, and I, and I was writing and 
for me, the writing part of it has always been the therapeutic part. So if we would go lose a game or whatever, I would look forward to just sitting in my uh, apartment with a guitar. And it allows you to check out for a little while. It's a little gateway into uh, bliss. So, um, yeah, I was playing a little bit. I, I would play at Harry's occasionally um, with a couple other lacrosse players, John Wright, who was a defenseman, and Nick Donatelli, who was a uh, he, he was a backup goalie for us, but he was a bass player, and John played drums. So we would, if we would win a game, we would go play <laughs> at, at Harry's and show our faces. Um, so I would, I would play a little bit, and I also played in a band for a couple shows called My Friend's Band. And, <laughs> That's a great uh, band name. It was yeah, good. It was yeah. fun, and uh, Kenyatta King, who still plays around here, was in that band. Jeff Lloyd was the leader of that band, and Jeff is now touring with a, a, a band called the Heavy Pets. So it's cool to kind of still be playing and uh, noticing that guys from my friend's band are still playing as well. So you've really evolved into what I was watching another interview the other day, and you're kind of joking around about what modern folk is, sure, or folk however you want to put it. Dylan was a big influence on you, right? Major. Yeah. What a cliche. Okay, Mike. Shelter without walls. I really want to hone in on this here. I really want to get your perspective about, because you said it earlier, you don't like recording music. Nope. I've seen some of your shows. I've seen some of the videos. It's a storytelling experience when you go see either you or the Black River, which is your other band that we'll, we'll get into. But you really wanted to hone down and get this stuff here and digitized and out there. And you're going to go on tour here to really back this up. So I'm just going to go through it. I'm going to start with Highway Call. Where did that come from? What influenced it? When I say that, just, you know, what came out of you with that song? Highway Call came completely from a conversation with a truck driver. And uh, it was at a rest stop. And I was talking about, I was I'm naturally curious, so I have no problem going up to people and asking them why they do certain things. So I asked him, we were in line getting coffee, and I said, excuse me, sir, but what, how's, how is being a truck driver? You must enjoy it. And he said, yep, there's a lot of freedom in truck driving. And he goes, sometimes, you know, the, the highway calls. And I was like, ooh, highway call, that's interesting. And uh, I kind of built that story around just those two words together. And uh, the cool part about that that not many people know, but the, there's lyrics in there. The two main characters in that story in Highway Call, I named them Linny and Georgie. And Georgie is the guy that taught me to play guitar in Watertown. Um, and he's like the my idea of what an entertainer should be. He's like the guy that would sit around his kitchen table, have a few beers, sing a song, tell five jokes, uh, you know, get up, do a little dance, sit back down, <laughs> have another beer and One keep playing. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the cool part about that is Georgie and Lenny, they're, they're the couple up in Watertown and their sons are my closest friends. So kind of threw them a little subliminal shout out in the uh in that first track on highway call but i thought it was interesting to look at that like a truck driver from the wife's perspective also and how you know he's out there driving and he's being driven by something and, and she's at home waiting for him but when he gets home he's got to go right back out again um so it, it was kind of a take on just looking at a different lifestyle. Backseat bingo. Those were the days when the only thing they made was love. <laughs> That's, right. That's fantastic. That's cool. that lyric just grabs you. Cool. When you listen to that song, will you play it for us? Yeah, totally. All right, totally. Let's roll. Delta, there's a dance floor shaking from the sweet vibrations of a 64 Falcon and the 
gold tops rip and makes the ruby shoes crumble and the balcony screams out from the highest mountain she comes up dancing in the light and it feels right fuzz starts falling from those high top speakers and the girls start screaming when they hit that chorus like they Grand slam swinging from the farthest fences and the acids dripping on the tongues of tweakers. Man, this sound is out of sight and it feels right. Those were the days when the only thing they made was love. Open roads never close, you never get enough Out in the rag top, little backseat bingo By some kids exploring on some young adventure With a beer can pillow and a steamed out window In this classic chassis with a Snake that rattles a full moon lighting up the night and it feels right. Out in the middle, there's a dashboard breaking from the radio rolling like double do backs and the sleeves of a rebel with an arm for football and a Eye that shines like his Indian straight pipe A lone wolf howls in delight And it feels right And it feels right And it feels right I know this one's really personal for you. You grew up in the shadows of Fort Drum, and it's about Desert Storm, right? That's what that was. What what it's it's not necessarily about that, but it was inspired by the influence of Desert Storm on me. Um, I was in middle school, and my uncle Charlie was in the army, and he was over in Saudi, and I kind of witnessed what war does to families, and. A lot of my classmates had parents that were over there, and uh, some of them didn't come home. And I remember going to those funerals and just being, even though I was just a kid, just crushed. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what that feels like. And uh, the the 21-gun salute has always just kind of been a very eerie, thing but also beautiful at the the same time and it's it's amazing those certain things in life that can balance just grace and beauty with just utter loss you know and the in a 21 gun salute is like the epitome of that you say it in the song 50 stars 13 stripes 21 rounds yeah and you know so this is the early 90s right yep, yep. and you think oh yeah we kicked butt in that you don't mm-hmm. think about no right, right. families did lose people. Yeah, I know every war is a war, yeah. right? But the, the perception so many years later is oh, it was quick, and they got in and out of there. And Whitney Houston sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Right. And, you know, you remember those things, but you know, you certainly have a different way to remember it. And I love. Uh, I knew this day was coming. I just didn't know it was coming tonight. Cool. Like you hear that, and it it just grabs onto you. You know. Cool. Anybody yeah. that's ever been through anything like that, that's kind of what you say. When it happens, right? Like, right. Can I have a little warning that yeah. the worst moment in my life was coming? But you just you never <laughs> right. get it, yeah, you never and, know. And, and you never will. Yeah. Yeah, and I had a. It's funny. I wrote that song as part of the acoustic guitar project, which is a really cool thing. I don't know if you've heard of it, but basically, one guitar gets sent around the world to different songwriters, and they have one week to write a song. They sign it, and then they ship it to the next songwriter. So. As you may have learned from uh, Shelter Without Walls, I'm not the king of joyful material. 
Um, yeah, this isn't one you put on when you're like cruising down the highway. <laughs> no, no. You got to be in a good. You got to be in a certain mood for this. Yep, yeah, you, you really do. Alone, you have to be alone. I think for it to work, but um, I I wanted to write something really happy because I don't have a lot of happy songs that are danceable. Um, that's when we'll talk about the band, but um, my solo stuff has always been pretty poignant, kind of uh, you know deeper stuff. And uh, I wrote that, I wrote 21 Rounds. That was my attempt at a happy song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wrote it and I played it. And uh, it was heard by a, a couple different people, but Rourke Denver, who played Syracuse uh, lacrosse, uh, was teammates with my brother and he was a SEAL. And uh, he's, he's written books and, and things like that, just a really well-recognized uh hero and uh he sent me a message and it was just this it was it was one paragraph long but he just wanted me to know that that song meant a lot to him and to his boys and uh that's why you write songs that's why you do it and uh can't get better feedback than that that song gets better response than than most of mine and and it comes from uh the veteran community and the active military as well but it's it's really cool to see the reaction to that one so you wrote that for the acoustic guitar project i'm curious about your songwriting process i've heard all these stories about some of the greatest songs ever written yeah i wrote that in 10 minutes or like it just comes out of you whereas you know i'm a bruce springsteen fan he obsessively worked on born to run like he like you were mentioning building kitchen tables like he was building something with a blueprint and it had to be exact and he was obsessed with how it came out. How do you write songs? What is your process generally? My process is almost always the same and uh, everyone has a different one and I, I love hearing about uh, you know other people's process but mine is uh, they either happen very early in the morning or very late at night and it always involves a lot of coffee. <laughs> and it always starts either with a piano or a guitar melody. And those sonic waves kind of trigger something lyrically. And I think of the first line of the song. And it starts with that first line. And then they do happen really fast for me. And to the point where if, if I don't finish a song in an hour, kind of have a rule... If I don't finish the song in an hour, then I abandon that song because I can't revisit because you have to, it's almost like you're acting at that point. When, once you go back into that mindset, you have to try and pretend like you were three days ago, you know? So um, they do happen really fast for me. And I will say this, and this may make me sound like a hippie or uh <laughs> like I'm tripping on mushrooms or whatever, but uh, I honestly believe that songs get sent to certain people. And I know that sounds crazy. I've never heard anybody say that's, that. I know that's, it sounds that's crazy. That's why I'm reacting like that, but, but no, there's, that's, that's very interesting. There's words I use in some of these songs that I never, that are just not part of my lexicon, that are just, I don't think about them. Uh, they just seem to make sense rhythmically. I put words in order that seem to make sense in my head rhythmically. And then I'll listen back and I'm like, wow, where did that come from? And uh, I've heard other people say that there's all these like songs floating around in the universe and sometimes songwriters will grab that little nugget and pull it down. But I honestly believe that. I know it sounds completely ridiculous, but I do believe that songwriters are almost like a conduit to a to a message that's being sent from uh, somewhere and maybe the subconscious I don't know but I I just think that uh, they happen really fast for me and sometimes when I'm writing them it doesn't feel like me writing it I don't know that's strange thank you for sharing that that's awesome so we've come to craving good love simple as the title sounds or tell me about that one a little bit so that one, along with Backseat Bingo, were, were two very late additions 
um, to this record, and I needed a, a little more uh, beef to fill out this record. And my my friend and manager Alf was saying, "You need more songs than just those four songs." So um, I went into the studio to record uh, uh, "Poison Diamond," and I sat in the studio and wrote two songs and Backseat Bingo was one of them and uh, Craven Good Love was the other and those were songs that I wrote and recorded in the same day so those two songs were written the day that you'll hear on the on the EP so Craven Good Love it starts out with uh, we're getting married we're picking up more weight than we can carry and I'm getting married next uh next june congratulations thank you and uh that's how i felt we're picking up more weight than we can carry but we're we're gonna do it together and that's what that's what you do when you're craving good love and uh that that song is kind of landed on like the sweeter side of it and it's definitely i would say my most personal in terms of my my current life i think Um, you really hear it throughout this album you've poured everything into it and that that brings us to sad day and champion this song is incredible like i really when you you're gonna play it for us here in a moment i really gotta like brace myself because every time i hear this song and i mean this as a compliment mike it rips my guts out but in a good way in in a thoughtful way and it really makes you appreciate you know a life that maybe a lot of people didn't get to experience but if you are someone who experienced this the way you did like, this is about where you grew up. This is about champion New York. This could be champion any state, anywhere. Yep. Yep. I really feel that way about this song. So it starts with a bathtub, a toaster, pistol, and a pencil, a razor, and a reason to go. Like, that'll perk you up and say, wow, what is <laughs> happening here? So take me through writing this song and, you know, the influence of it. And it's about as personal as it gets, I think, it, just it, from my perspective. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, so... Growing up in Carthage, we had the main industry and pretty much the only one in the town of Champion where we grew up was Champion International, and it was a, a paper mill. And uh, everyone worked there. Like I can't really think of anybody that wasn't a school teacher that did anything other than work at this paper mill. And uh, I've always wanted to write something about growing up there. And this was kind of my catalyst into being able to talk about Carthage in a, in a cool way and one that made sense and felt real. And uh, paper making was so ingrained in us. Our, our peewee baseball team, we were the paper makers. Um, champion blue was the color. So everything in town was blue. Um, so you would... There's a line in the song that says, blue shirts hung on the line. You would drive around Carthage, and you'd see everyone's work shirts on the clothesline, and they were all champion blue. And uh, when I was in, in uh, I guess, middle school or maybe even high school, I still remember my dad coming home and sitting us down and saying, guys, I don't have a job anymore. Um, and... You know, many years later, now that I'm a father and an an adult, what a heavy moment for for him to have to come home and and sit us down and say that. And I remember him saying, I don't know what's going to happen. And to know that that night, that was happening in every household in Carthage, that's heavy duty, you know. And I remember the next day in school, even the kids... It felt like really dark and sad in the school, in the hallways. And everyone was kind of unsure what was going to happen. And uh, I, I just, I, I wrote the song and put, tried to put as much imagery as, as possible. There's a lot of stuff in there that people, that wouldn't understand unless you're from up there. And I wanted it that way. Um, there's, there's certain things like, in the chorus, it's uh, Sister John Mary holds weight she can't carry. Sister John Mary was one of the nuns up there. So 
Um, I was wondering how many people were real characters. Yeah. From Carthage, from Champion. Yeah. And uh, it, it's funny with songwriting how people have kind of their different ideas of what certain lyrics mean. I, I won't say what I meant by a bathtub, a toaster, a pistol, and a pencil, a razor, and a reason to go, but um, people have been writing to me about what those lyrics mean to them and what they think it means, and they, they're asking me, you know, what did you mean by it? And uh, I don't like getting too into detail because I think that's the beauty of songs, is you let people draw. It's not a movie. I'm not showing you what it is. It's allowing you to be, you're the director. It means what you it know? means to you. Right. Yeah. Right. So There's another line, so I know you're not going to tell me what it means, but <laughs> smokestacks and hard packs, divorces and drugs are all we have left in this town. Yeah. That, I, that's, wow. That that's, is, that's Is that what it's like there? I don't know anymore. I, th- I think, you know, with the expansion of Fort Drum, the town has grown. It's changed. It had to, you know, or else it was just going to disappear. But Carthage is filled with just blue-collar good people. And um, for a while, everyone freaked out. We didn't know what to do. So a lot of those guys that worked at the mill, they woke up without a job. So what do some people do? They turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. And I remember as a kid just driving past bars and just seeing bar fights outside and just people stumbling around and it just wasn't a good place to be at that moment in time but at the end of the day um, you know we came out of it and we did it the only way that Carthage could have and that was to just roll up our sleeves and just figure out a way to grind through it and not many people left people stayed and figured it out so um yeah that was that was a heavy moment that made its way into a song let's hear that heavy moment mike powell it's a sad day in champion Teardrops on tables rust like the cables that ran on machine number five. Where he and his brother worked with each other, and now they only talk at Christmas time. It's a sad day in Champion, paper mills closing. I can't hear a thing 
with the church bells all frozen. Sister John Mary holds a weight she can't carry, and the children grow up in the rain. Take me back to Dallas, babe. Take me back to Dallas, babe. Take me back to Dallas, babe. On that morning star train. Smokestacks and hard packs, divorces and drugs are all we have left here in town. With a prayer in our pocket, but no key to lock it, it empties and it falls to the ground. Shop lights and late nights, flannel and wool, the wood stove turns over blue. The bank took the toaster, the pistol and the pencil, the razor in the bathtub too. It's a sad day in Champion. The paper mill's closing. We can't hear a thing with the church bells all frozen. Sister John Mary holds a weight she can't carry, and the children grow up in the rain. Take me back to Dallas, babe. Take me back to Dallas, babe. On that morning star train. I told you, man. That song gets to me. That's oh, cool. that's incredible. Well, thank Thanks you. for playing that. For no, us. thank you. So that brings us to Poison Diamond. And that is another song that you you hear how personal it is, but I like that we're listening, and then all of a sudden this female voice comes in. Who is that? That's Melody Rose. Yep, and she was a... We were looking for someone to come in and, and sing backups on for this whole record, actually. And uh, one thing got a, we got a little overwhelmed with other stuff going on. We kind of just fell in love with just the raw solo versions of them. But that song, I really wanted a female component to it, because um, there's a lyric in there, "Never together with you," and I just thought that was such a, a juxtaposition to have those lyrics with a male and female vocal. Um, so we had Melody come in, and uh, she nailed it in like an hour. You know, there's that hour time limit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that is Shelter Without Walls. And it comes out October 5th. We can get it on Spotify, Apple Music, all the usual places. What, yep. What's the best way for people to digitally download this? It's it's everywhere. It's uh, they, they make it pretty easy for musicians now. Um, I use this service called DistroKid. And basically, you submit it one place, and they they put it out into the world, the digital world. So um, years ago, you kind of had to do it all yourself. So you'd have to go to iTunes, upload your stuff there. Then you'd have to go to CD Baby and upload it there. And, you know, you're skipping all around. So they, this service kind of makes it a streamlined, one-stop shop sort of thing. So it's available, I believe, on every streaming service there is. And MikePowell.co is the website. That's and right. It's .co. If you're if you're going to MikePowell.com, maybe it'll it'll reroute you there. But the website is MikePowell.co.co, so you can see all the information there. The other thing we can see there is all your tour dates coming up. Yep. So you're going to yep. be really busy this month. But one thing that really grabbed me is October 13th and 14th. So you just put out an album. You're working on another album with the Black River, who we're going to talk about here in a moment. Oh, let's just do a live album too. Let's just throw it all in there, Powell. 
I love that you're doing this, though. So you must be really looking forward to this. And it's in Casanova, right? It is. And uh, I live in Cas, so this is like my hometown gig. And I'm so lucky that we have this room in Casanova. It's, it was just, I, I feel like it's a really special place. The Odeon, it's called? The Nelson right? Odeon. The Nelson yep. Odeon. And it's an old Grange Hall um, right in Nelson right in the intersection of Nelson and um, it's like stepping back in time the the people that run it are fantastic music lovers uh, people lovers and just when you walk through the doors it's like it's 1920 again and I mean that from the motif all the way down to the way people treat the musicians and audience uh the audience understands the vibe there, I guess. So they come in and everyone's in a really good mood. And then once the music starts, they know that it's time to dial in and they pay attention to what's going on up there. And uh, I've played there three times, I think, and just had like 21 rounds. The first time I ever played that live was in that room with no amplification. So it's one of those rooms where... I felt like I could just sing a song without the microphones on anything, and it sounded really cool. And uh, I've always loved it, and I, I have a booking agent that set up two nights, so back-to-back nights, so 13th and 14th, Saturday and a Sunday. And I've never done two nights anywhere either, so that's been challenging from a set list standpoint. So I've laid it out because I don't want to repeat a song. So I have like 40-something songs wow. ready to to go. And I was just thinking, you know, I don't like recording. We've gone over that. I'm about to play potentially, you know, 30 to 40 songs of mine throughout my songwriting career, some new ones that have never been heard before. Why not just record it and uh, see what happens? And... Uh, one of my biggest, w- without a doubt, my favorite musician of all time is Martin Sexton, who's a Syracuse guy. But uh, I've been lucky enough to play with him on a couple different occasions. But his live album is leaps and bounds, um, w- without a doubt, his you know pinnacle of his recordings. Because there's something about a Marty Sexton live gig that is just mind-blowing and uh i want to try it basically you know and and i think it's cool when you can bottle up a moment um whether it turns out great or not it will be bottled and uh it's like a little time capsule so i just love you're taking your shot at it here this, Why not? This is going to be great. Yeah. So all the information on that is at mikepowell.co, and you can see how to get tickets and where to go and what a cool room that sounds like. Yeah, it's what, great. A, what an atmosphere that would be. we got to give a little uh, shout-out to the Black River as well. Shelter Without Walls kind of has a certain mood. Some of your solo stuff has a certain mood. The Black River, though, what changes when you, when you play with them? And I'll just say one thing off the bat. Moonlight, sunshine, and rain. Like that, there's, there's a mood shift there. I like... Yeah. I like the energy yeah. with something like that. It, and that's what it was. It was just, uh, that's the reason I play with the Black River is it's a mood shift. So as a songwriter, I don't want to be writing sad stuff all the time, you know. So the when I put the Black River together, I got a group of musicians that I just like being around and that I knew would service the songs. So this allowed me to write a whole different style of song um, with a band focus. So I've never really thought before this band, like, all right, this would be cool to do, like a drum fill here, and then the lead guitar is going to come in and shred here. You know, I never really thought about it like that, and playing in that band allows me to do that. And the guys are just really cool and understand that it's about the lyrics first. Um, so I've, I've just really, really enjoyed it. And on top of all the stuff I have going on in October, we're also recording the second Black River album and it's, it's so good. You know, I don't mean that in a egotistical way because I'm not even 
you know, I haven't even laid down my parts yet, but just the, the songs are there and it has like, this is the one you want to put in with your buddies in the car and let it go. And I've always wanted that. Uh, cause I, I, I grew up, uh, listening to a lot of like little feet and, uh, Grateful Dead stuff and Almond Brothers stuff. So Almond Brothers. Yeah, it's, you hear Almond Brothers. In cool, there a lot. Cool, absolutely. So it's MikePowell.co. Shelter Without Walls is out Friday, October fifth. The live album will be recorded October thirteenth and fourteenth. It's going to be out in early twenty nineteen. When's the new Black River album out? Do you think? I don't know. I I hate putting a when time limit done, on. Right? Yeah, yeah, when it's done. When it's exactly. Done. Okay. Exactly. So look out for that. And uh, get all the tour dates and all the information. Mike, I'm, I'm thrilled for you, man. Shelter Without Walls is incredible. Good luck on the tour. Good luck with everything. Come see us again sometime when, you know, you got so much going on. We're going to have to do like three of these podcasts the way, the, the, at the rate we're going. <laughs> well, I, I, I honestly thank you very much for having me. It means a lot. And I know I can tell you this, that some people, as I go through my life and I was known and identified as a certain thing, which was a lacrosse player. And since I've taken a chance at trying something else, there's been certain people that don't understand it. And I think that uh, the reason I'm here today is because you understand that people are into other things, and I appreciate that very much. That means a lot. Thank Thank you, you, sir. Absolutely. Thanks again to Mike Powell for hanging out with us here. A little bit of a bonus. We've got a video coming from this podcast session, so you can see Mike discuss Shelter Without Walls and see Mike play those tunes that you heard on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Man, sad to hit champion. That song gets me every time. Thank you so much for being here today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to get the latest episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Earlier this week, Nate Mink, Stephen Bailey, and I talked a little football. Scott Hansen from the NFL Red Zone was a recent guest. Bob Costas was on the Syracuse Sports Podcast not too long ago. Catch up on all prior episodes on iTunes, Google Play. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Brent Dax. We'll catch you next time 